Build your cultural competence. Listen to interesting stories. Learn about the cultural pitfalls and how to avoid them. Get the global perspective here at Culture Matters Podcast on international business. We help you understand cultural diversity better by interviewing real people with real experiences, helping you develop your cultural competence. Good morning, good evening, good afternoon. Welcome to the Culture Matters Podcast. We are on episode number 16. And in this episode, we have a countryman, a fellow Dutchman called uh, Witze Russian. He's actually not Russian. It's a, it is just his last name. That's uh, And he explains it in the interview as well. And um, keep listening typically to the end where he, ter- where he shares a really uh, excellent story when it comes to cultural differences and what it takes to be a lobbyist in Brussels working for the European Union and different uh, different clients and customers there. After completing his master's in international relations at the University of Groningen in the Netherlands and two EU-related internships in Brussels, Pizza Russian worked as a political advisor to Mr. Willy de Klerk, member of the European Parliament and Belgian Minister of State. Witze assisted Mr. de Klerk in his capacity as chairman of the European Parliament's External Trade Committee and the Legal Affairs and Internal Market Committee. He is considered one of the most influential Dutch persons in Brussels. It's time for this week's guest at the Culture Matters podcast. Here's your host, Chris Smith. Good morning, Witze. How are you? Good morning, Chris. Fine. Thank you very much. Uh, what, what? Thank you. Well, uh, glad to have you on the show. Um, you're a fellow Dutchman. You uh, live in Brussels. That I know. We've met each other a couple of times. And um, since we're doing this in English, how do you pronounce your, your name in English? I've, I've been wondering for the last couple of days. My first name you pronounce is Witze. Yeah. And my family name is Russian. And that's not Russian like in the country. It's not like Russian, although some people mistake that with uh, with the other uh, with the other word Russian. Yes, but that, that's and that you don't you have no uh, no affiliation with uh, with the country Russia at all. No, in fact, my name is coming from Friesland, from the north of the Netherlands. It's a typical Frisian name. Yes, okay. I, I think it, it might pose you some some occasional difficulties explaining your name to other other uh, culture, countries or cultures. Well, I have a Russian client, by the way, and they always say to to other people that uh, when they explain why I work with them, that it's because of my family name. So it helps also. <laughs> okay, it does. It doesn't hinder you. It helps you actually. No. All right, Vitsa. Before you continue, just tell us a little bit about yourself. Who are you? I mean, where do you come from? Um, and and what do you do? And what is your cultural frame of reference? I mean, have you lived in other countries and and stuff like that? Uh, so as I said, I, I'm coming from the north of the Netherlands, um, uh, and I studied in Groningen in the Netherlands. I came to Brussels uh, 20 years ago. I'm now 20 years in Brussels. Uh, I've been traveling around, but I've been only living in uh, in the Netherlands and in Belgium, in fact. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm a lobbyist, as they say. So you can shoot me now. <laughs> I know uh, it's better to say nowadays that you are coming just out of prison than that you're. A lobbyist working for the EU. Yes, but I'm one of those criminals. Uh, but that's a, that's a joke, of course, because I think it's a very honest job. But I'm a bit uh, since 20 years uh, that I'm working in Brussels, a bit an in between, you can say, between companies, businesses, and the European Union. And the European Union is becoming more, uh, more and more important. And um, my clients, of course, have an interest to to be present and to be active in Brussels. And I'm try to to open the doors for them in 
Brussels. And that's and that's what you do. Like you said before we hit record, you said hobby is my lobby. Uh, lobby is my hobby. <laughs> hobby is my hobby because in fact it doesn't feel like working. It's it's a lot of uh, networking, a lot of social interaction. Uh, you know my events uh, a little bit because you've yes. been there. It's a lot of uh, connecting people. Some people call me the Nokia of Europe, uh, you can say. It's just uh, bringing A to B because they don't know each other. And uh, well, as you know, Brussels is typically a networking uh, village uh, where, where contacts are completely uh, predominant and, and, and important. And I try with events and with, uh, with the right contacts uh, to bring my, uh, my clients or the interest of my clients on the radar screen of European decision makers. Okay. Now, the, the majority of the of the audience is uh, North American based, as as I know from uh, from our download statistics and the uh, the the audience base. Um, I I would presume that that there's a good amount of American uh, citizens that are quite skeptical towards the old country Europe and typically uh, Brussels and the EU. Any experience with that? Well, I can understand that. Although, by the way, lobbying is a is a typical word from the United States. It's coming from from Washington. You invented it. I would say. I would say you as the Americans. Yes. But I can feel. I can understand uh, the the skepticism about U, the, the European Union. We are, of course, uh, twenty eight countries now, and 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 uh, in the economic crisis, and and today in the political decisiveness, you can say that Europe has not been. Uh, very effective uh, in the last years, uh, which is maybe the price you pay for for, for being with 28. Mm -hmm. um, if we want to to keep up in the race in the world and to be efficient and to be effective in the world, uh, which is uh, changing uh, so rapidly nowadays uh, with China and, and, and other emerging countries, you have to be uh, very active and very efficient. And we have seen in the past uh, times that we cannot we cannot longer uh, let the speed of Europe is be decided by the slowest wagon of the train. And with, and you're meaning to, you're talking about one of the 28 or a couple of the 28 member states. Well, I think we are we are we have to make a choice. Either we are European or we're not European. And you can see that in the foreign affairs and in defense policy, we are still uh, very much national. Uh, mm -hmm you could understand from a, a cultural perspective um, but many of the problems today if it is about terrorism if it's about trade if it's about economic crisis cannot be solved anymore with one country if you if just take the Netherlands with 17 million people it's just too small to to to, to deal with the international problems of today so mm -hmm. it is logical that you have to work together and if we work together uh, we can show that we're still the biggest trade partner in the world we are 500 million consumers, and we can be uh, we can be really uh, powerful. But that means that uh, if you want to be powerful, that you have to give in, that you have to make compromises, and that you have to work together. And in many moments in the last years, we have seen that countries are still French or English or German mm -hmm. uh, instead of European. So we have to make choices there. Otherwise. We are being bypassed by 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 the Chinese or by 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 other by by, by other countries mm -hmm. who don't have this problem. Okay. On the other side, uh, Chris, uh, the advantages, of course, we have a lot of diversity still. Uh, if it is about culture and language, etc., we have a lot of research, education, which is still very good. We have a lot of richness in Europe, so we shouldn't be only complaining. 
but we have to let's say uh, unlock the potential that we have and and i i fully agree with that last bit in terms of unlocking the potential that that there is i mean 500 million people as a base as a consumer base if you think capitalism that sounds that sounds very promising now i can just also imagine that there are some listeners scratching their head like yeah but why don't you unlock it why is everything so slow i mean if you if you look at how the Americans deal with the credit crisis, okay, they get in the credit crisis first, but they're able to get out of the credit crisis the fastest as well. And how come, can you put a finger on that or explain that in some sort of cultural way or with your experience there, the reasons why things are so slow? Well, look at look, look at the best example for me is the, is, is the European patent, for example. We have been talking for 30 years about having one European patent for the single market, uh, which was blocked by some countries because of the languages Mm -hmm. Uh, in the united states you don't have this problem because everybody speaks english yes Uh, but here we stick to 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 the fact that you want to speak spanish or german or french Uh, and that is of course a reflex of the past if i may say so Uh, Mm -hmm. uh, of course you can be able to speak your languages but if it is about a european patent it should be logical that we only do that for example in english or in french uh, or, or, or both maximum because it is so costly and it, and I think uh, we are we have learned from the crisis that uh, being inefficient has a high price and 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 and, and, and well will not be will not be uh, put up in the future anymore if we want to compete internationally uh, we cannot uh, take too much time uh, by not taking decisions if it is about terrorism look. At the problems today with Russia, look mm-hmm. at the problems today with the Islamic State uh, in the Middle East, uh, ma- making lofty declarations and having meetings for three weeks doesn't do it anymore. We have to be rapid, we have to be effective, otherwise we're out. And, and, and economically, as you say, we are a giant potentially and we are a giant, but politically we're still a dwarf. Mm-hmm. And if we want to play a role in the world, and I think we should play a ro- uh, an important role in the world, uh, we should not be a dwarf and we should uh, be able as national states, and that is always the problem, stepping over your, your, your national cultural, uh, let's say, uh, boundaries, yeah. exclusivity yeah. Uh, boundaries, uh, means that you have, if you want to work together, you have to give in. Uh, And you can understand with 28, you have to make compromises and you have to live with it and otherwise it's better not to be in. And maybe, if I may say so, Chris, we have to uh, think about another model of management of Europe, otherwise uh, we're out of the game. Are you are you considering then like um, uh, we have one one uh, we have the euro in in a number of countries at least are you talking about defense um, uh, that united as well taxes united typically like the United States of America the United States of Europe is that what you're thinking? I think the only way forward for Europe with this uh, with this size that we have today is that we have different speeds, and mm-hmm. we have in fact different speeds because you say you mentioned the euro some countries have the euro some don't. Um, so you have a Eurozone, and I think on, on, on specific issues, uh, it should be able to go, we should be able to go ahead with a certain group of countries, let's say the coalition of the willing, if I may say it like this, sure. who are w- which are willing on a certain issue to go ahead. Others who are not willing should be out, but at least then the train moves on and we are effective on that for that specific group. Uh, you can talk about foreign affairs, you can talk about 
uh, macroeconomic policy. Uh, but every time that the train should stop because of the slowest, um, yeah. yeah. That's we very hindering. Yes, is it is it insane. is it because of the size of Europe in the twenty eight countries, or is it uh, suppose you would actually narrow it down to say the UK, if at all, but uh, say the, the, the northwestern European countries, including France and Germany, etc. Uh, are they going to be able to tackle that just because they're smaller, or will there still be cultural differences? I think that what you see in the history of European integration is the cultural differences are, are remaining. So people still speak their own languages, people are still feeling first Frisian or Catalan uh, and then uh, Spanish or Dutch and then European. People do not feel European. People are not saying today, hello, I'm a European. Mm-hmm. No, they say I'm a Dutchman or yes. I'm, a, I'm a Frenchman. Uh, they have a French passport. They they can vote in France, they cannot really vote in Europe because it's national. Mm-hmm. Uh, there is no European public opinion, in fact. You don't have a European press or a European newspaper or a European magazine. So everything which is cultural, as you say, m- media, language, uh, emotional things, psychological things, mm-hmm. are still national. People are not uh, feeling European. And maybe we should not be so uh, pessimistic about that. Maybe that's that maybe that's even good, uh, but it means if you are 500 people with an internal market that you can travel abroad without showing your passport, mm-hmm. that you can study abroad, that you can work abroad without any uh, boundaries, uh, that you don't have to pay taxes if you move uh, across the borders, that you have, for example, now if I go to Spain and if, if I want to call my my uh, my friends or my relatives or SMS. Mm-hmm. I don't have to pay extra costs anymore because we have no no roaming extras anymore uh, in the whole European Union. European Union uh, song. But that's that's, that's going to happen only in the, at the end of 2015. I recently read. Yes, but those are those are the advantages that Europe can offer. We should really, yeah. uh, I think, focus on what we can do and what we can do best. And I think the market is what we can do best. We are. Uh, that is also one of the targets to have a one market and the market is still not finished we still see boundaries there if it is about uh, taxes or if it is about uh, mm. boundaries it's still uh, I was talking to a CEO of a big supermarket chain who moved or to open some uh, some of his branches in Belgium being Dutch mm-hmm. you, know, you know the Netherlands and Belgium are next to each other but just opening a supermarket five kilometers from, 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 from the other branches across the boundary mm-hmm. created so many problems for him on regulation and laws, etc. He said it's a nightmare. So mm-hmm. even yeah. the Netherlands and Belgium are completely not compatible yet today if you open a shop. Mm. The rules are still so different. I think we first have to, have to focus on, on what Europe should do, which is creating a market which is open and free for 500 consumers and for companies especially okay. uh, but I think the problem is that in the past we have done we have we have, have been a bit too ambitious um, in the past and so my message would be focus on what you're good at yep uh, one we've been doing a bit of euro bashing but I'm, I'm here to uh, uh, maybe I've been doing the euro bashing here it's I, I'm glad to hear an up tie an up an upbeat kind of uh, opinion on that um, one more question and then I'd like to get more to your own personal experience being a Dutchman in Brussels and the the lobbying that you do as a business 
is what's your expectation about the United Kingdom, the UK, always having um, faced more towards the United States, more looking west rather than east towards the continent? Are they ever going to get out of the EU, or do you think they're going to stay? Let me first say that today Europe is a German-run project. Okay. We have only one boss in Europe today, which is Mrs. Merkel. She's the yeah. boss of Europe, also because France is completely lost in that power game today. Okay. I mention that because it's important for the power balance also with, with, the, with the United Kingdom. It's very important that we are not uh, letting go the uh, link with the United States or the Atlantic balance. For us, as uh, Dutch people, it's very important. But it's also very important that we're not becoming a uh, a... a unbalanced project where, where everything is decided by by Germany yep. uh, so I think that it's important that there are other uh, strong countries in European Union who are let's say market driven who are um, which are very much uh, pro-trade and pro-business and for me uh, the United Kingdom is a very important element in that but the United Kingdom has a problem. They are, in fact, always uh, having a double position. They're in the European Union, but they're not in the European Union. Yep. They are a member of the EU, but they always say, we, we want to get out. Yes. It's like you're a member of a, a football club or a soccer club, and you, uh, you pay contribution, uh, but you say every day, uh, I, I don't want to be here. I don't like, play. like you're married, but you're never home. Yeah, well, yeah, I don't know if you're talking about my marriage or your own, but <laughs> I mean, neither. <laughs> either you're married, either you're pregnant or you're not pregnant. Yeah, we say. Right. You cannot be half pregnant. Mm -hmm. yeah. uh, so we have to make, they have to make choices, I think. And I hope that they choose for Europe because I think it is important for Europe, but I think it's also good for the United Kingdom mm -hmm. to be linked to this uh, market. And if we can convince them by showing that Europe is not a, um, let's say, a super state uh, that is uh, overeating itself with too much regulation and that everything is decided in Brussels, which is not the case anyway, which is not the case anyway. Brussels is very important, but exactly what I said before, that we are focusing in Brussels on what we should do in Brussels, yeah. that all the other things are not decided in Brussels and that you can have a, an option, uh, let's say, to, to work in, in different speeds. Yeah. That, that is okay, um, but uh, I think uh, the United Kingdom should give a clear signal being in or out. Uh, I would accept, of course, both, uh, both options. Mm -hmm. that, is the, that is the decision of the people. We have seen that in Scotland they have, uh, yeah. have chosen, let's say, pro-unification, pro if you want to call it like that. Mm -hmm. uh, I hope the United Kingdom is in, because it's a very important uh, element in the balance on the continent, but also in in the relation to the to, to the to the United States, the transatlantic uh, yes. uh, bound that we have, and that I appreciate very much to have this balance. Okay, all right. Well, thanks for that kind of kind of uh, that viewpoint. I I think I would I would agree with you as well. They would play an important bridging role between uh, Europe and the United States as well, and then of course being with two feet in uh, in the EU rather than with one one toe more or less. Um, Avice, you're you're a Dutchman. You're actually you're an exceptional Dutchman because you're a Frisian Dutchman from the north. Um, they tend to be uh, different by uh, by all standards uh, compared to other other Dutchmans. What your work in the EU uh, and in Brussels? How can you 
Tell us a, like a cultural story. What has happened? What kind of cultural differences do you bump into when you do your everyday work? Oh, that is uh, that is really the most uh, the most challenging, or the most funny, or the most uh, entertaining part of my of my work. Because I used to work also in the Hague, and in the Hague you you are Dutch and you work with Dutch people. That's quite, let's say, uh, predictable. Yes, we have our glass of milk, we have our sandwich of cheese, yep. and we do our work, and, and and we know we know a bit what is to be expected. In Brussels, of course, the game is uh, is a game of, as I said, twenty eight countries 28 cultures and every time I say that I, I have to to do my job I have to put myself into the into the place of the person that I I would like to convince I would like to talk to uh-huh. and of course uh, 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 let's say lobbying means that you would like to make the other people uh, informed and and, 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 and and endorse your position or the position of your client mm-hmm. And that means that every time what I call intercultural management is very important. So I have to see if it is a German civil servant, uh, I will treat him differently than a, a Spanish politician. What, what, how do you do that differently? I mean, the Dutchman is not a German, the Dutchman is not a Frenchman. How do you adapt yourself, Vitsche? I adapt myself and I adapt my message because if I have a meeting with a German civil servant, at 12 o'clock, I will make sure that I will be there at 11.45 and that that the uh, files that I will give to him are completely in order with annexes and attachments and everything complete in order Mm -hmm. on the details. If I have a meeting, it's of course a bit exaggerating, if I have a meeting with a Greek politician, uh, it would be strange if I would be there at 12 o'clock because nobody will be there. Uh, And uh, let's put it like this, a journalist would like to have the information on a one-pager, a civil servant would like to have all the attachments, and uh, politicians, let's say, in between that. Mm. Um, So so every time, and of course you have to understand your your counterpart, if your counterpart is uh, from the south or from the north, uh, from the east, it does change your attitude and it does change your messaging because, for example, we are quite frank and quite open in the Netherlands. We make we make uh, we, we make a lot of jokes. Or we're very much open-minded. Mm-hmm. Of course, you cannot be always too open-minded with somebody from uh, an Eastern country that doesn't appreciate your sense of humor. True. Uh, if you have a kind of British humor, you can you can do that with a British person you talk to, but not to everybody. Mm-hmm. Uh, cultural sensitivities that's what I mean you have to acknowledge them and you have to understand them to be able to do your work and the first time when I when I came to Belgium uh, when I, I was working in the European Parliament I had to to uh, to have a lot of lunches uh, yeah, as one does here in, in Brussels yeah, we, yeah. we are very effective in lunches we do that for 30 minutes and it's only there to to reach a deal in, in, in Belgium it is a very important ritual that you have all the food and the drinks uh, before you come to uh, to anything and the first time I I thought I had lunch with somebody what are the conclusions what did we what did, what did we decide well we didn't decide anything yeah. Yeah. and I was feeling like I failed mm-hmm. but people said to me no you invested no. you invested yeah. in a very good relationship for the future and later uh, it became indeed a very good uh, uh, contact that I could use, but the first time I thought, well, we have to have conclusions. Where, 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 where is the result? We are very much result-oriented. We have to be 
directly giving and, and sometimes in other cultures it's not the case and you talk about the dutch here being very result oriented well the dutch people in belgium or in brussels in the european uh, Euro- european union game are are, are quite uh, blunt sometimes and yes. we, we of course it's also because it's maybe too close it's only two hours by train or one hour by train it depends where you come from yeah uh, and we shouldn't be seeing Brussels as a, a sideshow of the Hague. It is more or less mm-hmm. the other way around. Mm-hmm. Uh, sometimes we are a bit. Uh, we have the tendency to be a bit arrogant, to say, "Oh, we go to Brussels and we will tell them what to do." Huh? That's what but, the Dutch think, right? With their finger pointing the finger. Uh, we have a very classical tendency to say, "Well, we know what is best," and maybe we do. Yeah. I yeah. don't even want to comment on if we do. Maybe we we know best. But knowing best is not important in Brussels. It is about being right. It's not important. It is about getting right. Yes. Because if, if you are, if your position is fantastic and, and you have all the facts and figures okay, but nobody supports it, you, you are nowhere still. True. That's where, that's where the game, that's where my game begins. Uh, it's about convincing the other people that, that you are right and that they should also endorse your position. So if you are too much pushy saying, we are right, we are right, we are right, in the end of the day, people will say, wow, maybe you're right, but we don't like you very much, mm-hmm. so we don't support your position. So you have to be very much uh, aware of this of this uh, psychological aspect of the game, yeah. and then it doesn't it doesn't always contribute to a good result that, that you are Dutch. Yeah. So I just said in the beginning, People are not really European and people are first national, but I feel after 20 years in Brussels that I'm a bit more European than Dutch now today. But I have to be European because I have to switch mm-hmm. every every one hour of the day, talking to Belgium, Spanish, Italian, Swedish, whatever. Uh, and it can only be done if you're not too Dutch, but if you are a little bit European. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Is there? Could you point out a culture that, for you as as you as an individual, is the easiest to work with, and what what do you find the most difficult culture to work with? Oh, that's a very difficult question. I think there are no easy. <laughs> there's no easy. There's no. <laughs> there are no general remarks to be given. But of course, um, you sound me, like a politician, Vitsa. Yeah, I could. I can be a politician if I want to, but but. Uh, um, I can be anything as long as uh, uh, it depends what is your target. But I mean, if I if I look at the cultures who are very efficient, is it is the cultures, for example, today the Polish. Mm-hmm. They're not easy. Uh, I'm not giving them a, as an example of being easy, mm-hmm. but they are getting a lot out of the negotiations today because yeah. they're very much. Um, stubborn and strong in their positions and they know what they want yes um, i'm a bit less impressed in the last years about the french mm-hmm. um, because i often say to the to my french friends uh, that paris is not the center of the world anymore and you have to get used to it uh, being part of europe mm-hmm. of course the germans they know that they are uh, very influential and they are very influential but they're not overplaying that that's very important Um, they are willing to make uh, compromises but based on strength Um, in the end of the day I like I think you cannot deny your own background I'm 
I'm a guy from the north, and sure, sure. it's sometimes very hard for me, even although I'm here for 20 years, to work with people from the south. Sometimes I can still feel the difference there. Yeah. So you get you get natural uh, natural uh, uh, partners that you work with easier than others. Like the Scandinavian countries, I really like. Mm-hmm. I really like the Scandinavian culture. Open-minded, uh, transparent, uh, direct, uh, strong economies, uh, and they're very easy to work with. They're not playing games behind your back. Yeah, which sometimes that's the most important. And you cannot say this culture is more uh, more honest than others. That you cannot say, but I think honesty is is the most important thing. And 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 working with Scandinavians, for example, are also the new Baltic states. Uh, mm-hmm. Which, which have joined the European Union a few years ago, they are also very much, uh, let's say, into that uh, fair play game, mm-hmm. the, which, which I really uh, appreciate. Yeah. I, I cannot stand that you have a deal in a meeting that one hour later people say something completely differently or you already have three knives in your back. Yes. Makes makes good sense. Okay, well, thanks for for sort of uh, giving your own personal opinion, uh, which is not a judgmental period um, uh, opinion, but just an opinion from you as an individual looking at other uh, at other cultures. Um, there's one topic that I still like to talk about. If you still have a, a couple of minutes for me, and that yeah. is your book, The Oil Man. Just that that's a literal translation from the Dutch title. Uh, what's that about? Is it available in English, by the way? It's not available in English, and one of my friends who works with an American company said you have to translate it like the weaver or the fixer. The fixer, okay. Uh, Because oil one, I think, doesn't work. Uh, Although it is about somebody putting oil in the machinery, so the the, the machine or the ship is working uh, smoothly. Okay, I've I've read a couple of excerpts from um, from this book, and you tell a lot of stories. I think so. Th- can you tell us a story? First of all, what's the book about? And maybe you can recite a story that that sort of jumps out in the book. I think the story is about a little boy coming from Friesland to Europe, and, <laughs> um, uh, being there for twenty years, and and being uh, still surprised every day that he's able to do his job uh, like I'm doing, and all the adventures and all the, uh, let's say, cultural surprises that I'm, uh, that I'm facing every day. Mm-hmm. Uh, I met a lot of interesting people, as you can, uh, can read in my book, uh, over the last 20 years. And it's a bit uh, telling all those stories of the people that I met, short stories. It's very easy to read, I think. It's very, uh, very accessible as a book, mm-hmm. uh, also because... As I said in the beginning, the image of lobbyists is not very—it's not very good at the moment. We are seen as crooks and criminals. Yes. I think this book uh, helps to give a, if I may say so, a human face to our business, which is a normal, fair, important business because we contribute to, to regulation. I think it's important that politicians listen to society, and we are there to make sure that they do. Mm. Uh, so this is a book about giving a human face to to that uh, to that business. And, well, in the 20 years, I had so many adventures when I came here, as I said, as a little boy, I was uh, surprised by all the uh, impressive uh, power games and being working for a Belgian minister in the beginning, Mm -hmm. later uh, having worked for the European business associations, uh, the big corporate firms, and then starting my own company in uh, 2006. And I think uh, the the, uh, stories are... 
uh, both instructive if you want in some uh, cases but especially also entertaining yeah uh, because i think working in europe is fantastic and it is entertaining and we're always talking bad about it and negatively and i think it is really fun to work with 28 cultures <laughs> and to be part of this uh this bubble of course it's a bubble it's a it's a eu bubble but it is a fascinating bubble that never bores me anyway okay and if you want to have one story maybe it is a which I think is very striking and interesting for your listeners is, uh, I don't know how many time we have, is the story about Mr. Mittal. Go ahead. Mr. Lakshmi Mittal, which is, was of course, which is, of course, one of the richest men in the world. The Indian steel uh, giant, mogul, if you want. steel giant who was going to buy Arcelor, the uh, Luxembourg-based uh, steel uh, company. And I was the organizer at that time of a big event, the European Business Summit. And Mr. Mita was going to buy Arcelor, I think it was 2009 in, at that time. And my, my client said, I would like to have him. He should be one of the speakers. Yeah. Of course, everybody wanted him because he was in the Financial Times, CNN, Reuters, the whole, the whole gang. So it was, of course, three weeks before the event, impossible to get to, to him. But in the end of the day, I managed to find some person in his entourage, as we say, in his surroundings that... I was working with him and I called him and I said, Mr. Mitos should come to our event. Mm -hmm. And he said, are you crazy? Three weeks before, you know his agenda. I said, yes, I know. But, and, you, and that's about lobbying. You always have to give something back. You have to always have some, have to have some exchange money. Mm -hmm. I said, but we are a platform where he can uh, be uh, using his charm and, and, and giving a message that he's not uh, offensive, uh, but that he's a very nice guy. In fact, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. this is the perfect platform where everybody is. He said, "Well, this is an impossible uh, thing, but I will ask him anyway. I'll call you back." Of course, he never called me back. <laughs> uh, and then I called Arcelor, the other company, the European company, and I ha I managed to get the CEO people on the line quite quickly. Mm -hmm. And I said to them, "Mr. Mittal is coming to our event in three <laughs> weeks." And they said, "What? Is he coming?" Yes, and I said he will give a special message there about uh, about taking you over and said we have to be there as well i said well i can see i will see what i can do of course i was uh, accelerated that they would be coming so i called mr Mittal's office back and i said the others the other people are confirmed <laughs> and uh, so and they will give a message and then they said we are confirming too at that time my press registration went up to 40 times uh, times up and then when mr Mittal came we did a little trick because he came and of course we were overwhelmed by cameras and television and, 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 and press. Yeah. He was there. Uh, I walked him in uh, when he arrived and, and, and I said to him, Mr. Mito, nice to meet you. It's a very small man for, for, such, a big, uh, for such a big wallet, I mm -hmm. would say. Mm -hmm. Very nice and friendly man, very nice and friendly. I said, uh, after your speech, would you, would, you, would you care to do a little uh, press conference. He said, "No, I cannot because of the shareholders." I said, "I understand." Uh, so I walked him on stage, and he had a speech which was very okay, but not very, not very special. Mm -hmm. Normal message, and people were applauding, of course. And then we did a little trick. We said to the audience, "And now, Mr. Mito has agreed to do a five-minute press conference." <laughs> and there, of course, he couldn't walk away anymore. 
and uh, the press was jumping on us and we had and, 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 and we, we, we managed thanks to that to be on the front page the next day of course yeah. and on television and everything and when I walked him out to make a sh to make a long sh story short when I walked him out I said Mr. Mittal I have to apologize I was a bit uh, I was a bit lying to you I was a bit playing a game with you because uh, you asked not to have a press conference and we did one anyway because I think if you are here and you're not talking to the press would be a pity for me because, uh, well, <laughs> uh, having you and not having you in the press is a shame. Mm -hmm. And he looked at me, he said, uh, Mr. Russian, do you think that I would be where I am today if I would be staying in the box all the time? Yeah. He said, it was exactly what you should have done in your position and I think you're a real entrepreneur. Uh, and and, and he, even on the way to the airport, I heard that he promised a, um, a, a big commitment for the next year of our event. So um, that was Mr. Mittal and I was very much impressed by his, uh, by his presence. And what, what, it shows, what it shows Chris to me is that lobbying is about, uh, is, is about people, it's about give and take. You have to have exchange money, you cannot always only ask, you always have to give something. And it's about also sometimes a bit bluffing. And I think if you talk about my book, um, often it helps a bit to be Dutch, although European, a Dutch European mm -hmm. bluffing your way into Brussels, I would say. <laughs> I know what I'm going to do next time when we meet. Just bl bluffing my way into whatever, something. That's a that's a really excellent story, Vitsa. Thank you for, um, for sharing that with us. Um, one la last question is, if people want to get in touch with you, with the oil man, with the fixer, the, the, the lobbyer from, uh, from Brussels, how can people get in touch with you? Um, well, there are many ways. You can connect me with LinkedIn. Uh, you can connect me on Facebook. Uh, I think I'm spending half of the days nowadays to collect my messages coming from 20 uh, ways into, me, into my Twitter, uh, LinkedIn, uh, etc., Facebook email accounts I get crazy with all the contacts so I think people can easily reach me but we have a we have a we have a there's a website also uh, russianconsultants.eu uh, the best is I think to go there or to send an email to me which is my my name my first name my family name and at gmail.com which is my private mail uh, so people can always send me an email uh, at gmail.com or uh, connect me through you because until so far I have never had problem people saying we cannot find you. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's that's good. All right. That's um, you can uh, if you go to the show notes that we uh, that will be there for this uh, this interview, you can go to culturematters.com and then do a search for Witze, which you would spell W Y T Z as the last letter in the alphabet E. That's correct, right? Or we should say, don't call me, we will call you. Something like that. Pizza, thank you. Thank you so much for your, your time and your stories. And uh, I'm pretty sure we'll bump into each other uh, anytime soon. Very welcome, Chris. Uh, hope to see you soon. Thank you very much. Bye. Thank you, Vita, again for um, your time and your effort in being on the show here. This is the end of the Culture Matters podcast. If you like what we do and you've listened all the way to the end, then you probably also know that it is um, it's really important to uh, for the podcast to be more visible, to get a rating and a review either in Stitcher or in iTunes. And you can do that by going to the website culturematters.com. There are several links that will take you there. Otherwise, just don't go directly to iTunes and leave your review and 
rating there. Thanks again for your time and thanks again for listening. We'll be back soon with another nice guest on the Culture Matters podcast. Bye. That's it for this episode. The Culture Matters podcast, helping you understand cultural diversity better by interviewing real people with real experiences. 